Minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. You can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find her at TarotByGinger.com. And she's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And again, that is at TarotByGinger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today um, is Preston Dennett and... You've been on a bunch of times, and we love chatting with each other. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, always a pleasure, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what has been going on lately with this new, um, I don't know, this new reveal, but uh, the new information coming out about from Stephen Greer about um, extraterrestrial crafts being reverse engineered? Yeah, it's pretty interesting times in this field um, with so many of these, what I would call whistleblowers, Mm -hmm. coming out and actually getting a lot of attention because it's certainly nothing new. We've had whistleblowers for decades. Right. But Stephen Greer, despite all the controversies surrounding him, I think is doing a good job in bringing attention to these guys. And, yeah, I listened to him or the whole testimony, which was just... Last week, I think, mm-hmm. or very recent, and uh, I found the, t- the testimony of the actual whistleblowers pretty compelling. Um, you could see as they came up on stage, few of them were really emotional about it and had a little bit of a hard time speaking because it has affected them so deeply, which I thought was interesting. I think lends credence to what they're talking about, and I think. One of the most important points Stephen Greer is bringing up is that a lot of what people are seeing aren't extraterrestrial at all. They're reverse engineered. This is technology that we've gained from extraterrestrial crash retrievals, but they're not ETs. So there's a lot of confusion in this field, and people are seeing things like the TR-3B and thinking it's extraterrestrial when it's not. Mm-hmm. And he presented some really interesting testimonies involving that and put craft side by side. Saying, this one's ET. <laughs> this one's probably man-made. I'm not sure I agreed with every single example he showed. Uh, but I thought it was an important point that was kind of not emphasized enough, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very interesting testimony. I wish he had let the people speak a little bit longer than he himself did. Uh, I know Michael Schratt was there. Mm-hmm. And if you know Michael Schratt, he's a really good researcher in terms of UFO crash retrievals and has a lot of information. I would have loved to hear what he had to say. Uh, but it's my understanding he did contribute, at least in part, to that whole thing. Yeah, it was, I think, a, a step forward. But... 
certainly not disclosure. You know, the government has made no <laughs> comment on it. These are just guys who are, as a rule, not active. And these guys are retired, mm-hmm. not a part of any, you know, intelligence agency anymore. Uh, so it's not disclosure. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. It is whistleblowers who are getting attention, yes, but it's not what I think the whole UFO field has been waiting for for a very long time. Interesting. Do you think that um, the government themselves or, you know, the CIA or the military complex encourages these retired people to tell their story, to help move disclosure along? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you asked me, so I'm going to say yeah. I think in some cases, certainly. Uh, in some, no. I think that they don't want these guys speaking. I felt that that was probably true with some of the testimonies of the guys Greer was bringing up. But looking at the David Grush testimony, that was what immediately struck me. Because it, it felt very well rehearsed. Uh, he didn't seem really all that emotional about it. Now, he is an intelligence guy, so, you know, they can be very level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'm, frankly, I just don't know because I haven't interviewed him. I don't, I wasn't there. I'm almost not qualified to make a educated opinion, <laughs> but it feels very much like that. Like, okay, this is your role. <laughs> Uh, once the CIA officer or whatever, you're in for life, whether or not you're retired. He's an intelligence guy. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it is sanctioned and it's all part of a very carefully laid out plan for in huge air quotes disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was putting forth the ET threat narrative, uh, plain and clear and was also somewhat evasive in his answers. I mean, if this guy is truly seeing what he's seen, and I think maybe he has, uh, he, you know, if, if he's a true threat to the government, you know, the secret government's pl- plan of covering all this up, he wouldn't be up there. You know, they could easily take care of him. Yes. People, you know what I mean? People have died mm-hmm. uh, for coming forward. And, he seems to be just fine. Now, he does say he suffered reprisals and such, which may be true. He says he does have evidence, which he turned over to his legal team and so forth. So we'll see. But I am skeptical. I I can't help it. I've been in this field a long time. Our governments, and I don't like really that term. Let's call it, like you say, uh, the cabal or... <laughs> Yeah. military-industrial complex, the highest levels of our intelligence agencies and military are the ones who are covering this up. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been lying from day one. I, I, it was interesting because he would say t- things that were clearly true. He's talking about, yes, there's an 80, 90-year cover-up. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting to hear him say. And I'm, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, but then he s- started saying, oh, well, ETs have killed people. And I'm like, well, he kind of skirted around it a little bit. And I'm like, if that's true, where's the evidence? Show show me. And, you know, he was asked flat out, have you seen hard evidence of UFO crash retrievals? 
And he kind of just smirked a little bit and avoided the question. Wouldn't say yes or no to a lot of simple yes or no questions. And said, oh, I've seen some interesting things. Well, just about anything can be interesting to anybody. <laughs> so I thought that was a little coy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's what's interesting to me, with particularly David Grush, is he's getting a lot more attention than, you know, how many hundreds of whistleblowers have we had mm-hmm. throughout decades? And this guy is actually getting some mainstream media attention. Maybe not as much as we would like in terms of, you know, the, as I talked about the song, it like, hasn't been in the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of the major newspapers. Mm-hmm. It was on a major news show. I mean, that's the video I watched with, what was her name? Cynthia Vargas <laughs> and Ross Coltart. Gosh, all these names in this field, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah it's movement it's something yeah I think people you know the general person in the public who's not really interested in this field is being informed that look you know there is something going on here behind the scenes mm-hmm. and as someone who's in the field it feels like there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we're seeing I mean it, it's hard to speak to because you know, it, we're we're just seeing one guy after another t- tell their story when there's a whole machine behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy from well, what's the arrow? Let me see if I can get the the acronym right. All donate all domain anomaly reconnaissance office. <laughs> it's a mouthful, but he came on Congress and. I was not impressed at all. <laughs> he seemed very arrogant, very kind of, I don't know, just didn't give much information at all. Mm-hmm. And again, it's so clearly obvious to anyone in, who's been in this field for any length of time that they do have the evidence. And he's just skirting around it. It's really yeah. ridiculous. Huh. So, so it sounds like he was not any more insightful than like Bob Lazar, you know. Yeah, I like I like Bob Lazar. I think he's, you know, he, when he goes on, he, he has details. He it out. <laughs> yeah, he brought out a lot of details that were later confirmed. Right, right. And this guy Grush, I mean, he does have a resume that appears to be absolutely legitimate. So I think that may be one of the reasons why he's getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. But he's no Lazar. Because Lazar was there, he touched the craft, he worked on it, he has a first-hand account. Whereas this guy worked in that area, arena, but as far as I can tell from what he's said so far, hasn't really even seen anything firsthand. Pretty much everything he's saying is technically hearsay, and that he's being told all this stuff. He says he's seen photographs. Photographs aren't that impressive right. these days. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure he's seen stuff. Looking at his resume, it uh, wouldn't surprise me at all that he knows a lot of things. But yeah, feels very controlled. He's just kind of sitting there looking at Ross Coldheart and dribbling out these details. And you can see him sort of pause after some of these questions that look like they're very carefully rehearsed. 
which is neither here nor there. I mean, if you're in that position, of course, you have to be very careful what you say. But yeah, <laughs> if he is a true honest to God whistleblower, I mean, technically he is because he's doing it, but mm -hmm. if he's violating his NDA, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, yeah, my, like you say, it feels a little sanctioned mm -hmm. to me. That's purely intuitive, and I hate to rely on that for something that's so momentous and important to really all humanity. But it's an interesting time for UFO research. And I think probably the result of this is just going to be another drop in the bucket, another sort of tennis ball hitting a brick wall and bouncing back. And if the, if our governments, again, what should I call them, the cabalists, mm -hmm. they wanted to disclose, it would be easy peasy. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the film of the Edwards landing that Gordon Cooper saw. Here's the meeting with Eisenhower. And they have films of that. We know from those whistleblowers, which was in the 50s, they were talking about it. <laughs> we know they have films of it. And that was 70 almost years ago uh, that people were starting to come out with this. And 70 years later, here's another guy. And it's still not a peep from the Pentagon. You know, that's who I'd like to hear from. Not a, a retired Pentagon officer. The Pentagon. Mm -hmm. A sitting president. You know, a head of state. Someone... You know, Congress people are talking about it. That's interesting. They're in Congress and they're talking. So that has almost never happened before. I mean, there were congressional hearings. Yeah. Uh, back in the 70s, I think it was. Yeah. And didn't, um, jeez, oh. Oh, I've had it on before. He's done some stuff with Congress. Uh, I can't think of his name. It starts with a B. Um, so many people in this field. The guy who calls the cover up the truth embargo. What's his name? Uh, I can't even remember at this point. It'll come to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's also done some real, I mean, he, like Greer, he's working hard in this field. It is the cutting, one of the cutting edges of the, the whole, all of ufology. Yeah. Just trying to get the government, our governments to come clean. Mm. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, cause I, I don't, don't think it's necessarily the government that's doing it anymore. I think it's more the military-industrial complex, or or possibly even corporations now. You know, trying to hoard technology basically and not have it released to the public to kind of keep the boot on people's necks. Yeah, I think that was sort of reaffirmed in the the Wilson memo that was a big thing a couple of you know months or a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I would point to the banking industry, <laughs> the oil industry, pharmaceutical industry, the insurance industry, Monsanto. I think they're probably part of all this. Yeah. I might like them. <laughs> yeah, who knows what kind of genetic <laughs> <laughs> beings those guys are creating. <laughs> right? So, and another interesting sort of development in this field because I think disclosure is inevitable. And the driving force behind it is the fact that there 
is such an army of evidence and experiencers and researchers out there just pressing up against this. It's a wall of truth hitting a wall of silence. And it's just creating sparks. Yeah. Let's face it, the cover-up, as effective as it has been, is also a disastrous failure. Mm -hmm. It's an open conspiracy at this point. Everybody knows what a UFO is. I think the evidence for anyone who's willing to examine it objectively, and I have to underline that objectively, because there are people who are like, eh, there's no evidence. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, there is. <laughs> and it's in the public arena. Mm -hmm. Disclosure has happened for anyone who is willing to, to critically look. think about it. Yeah. I mean, the, we have the footage. We have the eyewitness testimony. We have the landing traces. We have the implant evidence. A angel hair. I mean, animal reactions electromagnetic effects, the medical evidence alone, you know, in terms of just the healings, which mm -hmm. I've certainly dug deeply into, is enough to prove that this is a real phenomenon. Right. Disclosure has happened. So it's laughable that our secret governments, perhaps that's the best term, uh, are denying it. Uh, what's interesting, yeah, I think the driving force of disclosure is that, if these guys don't start making steps towards it, they become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. They become not credible. They they lose control of the narrative. And that's the last thing they want. Right. And that is why I think we do have NASA <laughs> forming a, what, eight or ten person commission headed by people who apparently have never read a UFO book or <laughs> looked into anything because... Boy, that uh, <laughs> press conference <laughs> was an absolute joke. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, we don't have enough evidence to say what these things are. We need more evidence. I'm like, oh, I just wanted to take any book and throw it at them. Here, <laughs> read this. Right. And use a few bad words. <laughs> <laughs> because it's... Why would you put people in that position who don't even have a clue? If they do, they're not saying. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have the evidence. Let's look at the turkey footage. Let's play that in front of these guys. And tell me that that is not an, a genuine ET craft. Mm -hmm. The Turkish government did it. You know, their photo analysts took, went, looked through that up and down and sideways. And no one has been able to debunk it. Not mm -hmm. effectively, certainly. And it's not just one piece of footage. It's was 2007, 8, and 9. Right. And I think an, an additional year as well. And that's just one piece. That's just one piece of excellent photographic evidence that is undeniable. Yeah. Well, what gets but, me is the experiencer evidence, too. One of the things that you've said to me before on the show is that, you know, disclosure was not going to come from the governments or the cabal or the corporations. But it's going to happen, and it is happening, through the extraterrestrials themselves slowly making contact with us, this ordinary people. Yeah, well, it's my understanding that Edwards Air Force Base meeting in 1954, that they encouraged disclosure, official. And Eisenhower and you know, all the people around him said no. And I find that interesting because, you know, that's 1950. Or, mm -hmm. believe, 70 and years ago. That's when 
you know, because there were people talking about being taken on board at that time. In the 1950s was the contactee era with George Adamski and Truman Bathroom, Daniel Fry and Orfeo Angelucci and Howard Menger and all those guys. And following them, right on the heels of all of that, was people like Betty and Barney Hill and Travis Walton and Herbert Shermer and you know all these people who are having onboard experiences. And it's clear to me, you know, having interviewed so many people who've had that experience, that the ETs are doing disclosure, a grassroots campaign, a publicity campaign, mm-hmm. and announcing their presence in a way that doesn't sort of completely cause absolute chaos. They're very clever about it. I think that's why I was so intrigued by the schoolyard encounters, Yeah, uh, which is, of course, as we've talked about, not just Rua Zimbabwe or Westall High School or Crestview Elementary or Broadhaven, but, uh, you know, well over a hundred. I found a hundred. I'm, you know, since found another hundred. Wow. <laughs> I have another hundred of them. So, oof, I have to put out another book or update that one. Another book. <laughs> that is absolutely a very effective way of a grassroots movement on the part of the ETs. Right. This has happened. Children are educators. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. This is why UFOs are all over TV, all over science fiction, all over video games. And you, I mean, how many bands are there that are called UFO or the aliens or how many musicians? I know it's not just John Lennon. It's Kesha. It's mm-hmm. Miley Cyrus. It's Demi Lovato. It's John Lennon. It's, they're all singing about it. <laughs> Katy Perry. I mean, all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting to me that Lizzo just recently says, Oh, yeah, I saw one. <laughs> like, ah, here's another. So that I don't th- I think that's absolutely deliberate. Right. I really do because ETs are going to the people who are at the forefront. Uh-huh. I did a whole thing, study of that, all the actors, you know, movie stars and musicians and sports figures who've seen UFOs. And there's a lot of them. I think most people have, probably, by now. I mean, I would say maybe 50% of the population has probably looked up at the guy and seen something they could not explain. Yeah, I think it's at least 20%. Which is effective disclosure because if you look at it, 20% means that each person, all they have to do is know five people and they can spread that knowledge. Mm-hmm. That, that covers every single person on this planet. So uh, we all know about everyone on earth, except perhaps the, those few tribes out in the Amazon or, or, or what have you, <laughs> that are totally isolated from society. But I suspect they're having direct contact anyway, because <laughs> there are people who've gone to some of these tribes and watched the UFOs come down. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the sky people. They help us out. They heal us. <clears throat> Got some really interesting accounts of that, yeah. specifically from Brazil. Some of these explorers go out there and they're like, oh. the indigenous people are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we see these guys all the time. <clears throat> so, <laughs> <laughs> which is intriguing to me. When you talk to the Native Americans and learn their oral traditions, uh, it's amazing. That's what I love about Artie Six Killer Clark 
and her research into you know the sky people uh, because yeah it's an accepted thing among them and always has been this is they don't need disclosure they know and we're at that point now so I can only imagine what it's like for these you know Illuminati or the cabal <laughs> people at the within the highest levels of the Pentagon who are sitting on this stuff, what they must be thinking. Like, how do we deal with this? Uh, they the, the up the fear factor. That's what they do. Yep. yep. Which makes me wonder about some of these accounts that are coming out. Because you know, I, I study the literature. This is something I do daily. If anyone who knows me can tell, I'm on my computer and I'm digging. And seems like a lot of the nasty UFO reports are coming from, like, Brazil. Colares, remember remember that? The whole mm -hmm. chupa-chupas <laughs> that were coming down and injuring people? Yeah, I remember that one. We're not getting that almost anywhere else in the world. And I talked to Dolly about that. She's like, yeah, this is where the cabal is doing their, you know, sort of pre-experimentation on how to roll out this false flag and the fake ET invasion. Yeah, so, I had somebody on recently. You probably know him. I'm not going to say his name. But he was saying, you know, and this is an old old one too, that aliens are, uh, are, are using basically humans as farm animals for food. And, and I said, no. <laughs> There's no evidence of it. You know, I, I, it's not nobody I've interviewed who's had an experience has mentioned anything like that happening. You know, and, and it, I mean, he, he yelled at me. He he went off at me. I still published it anyway. But I'm yeah. just thinking, like you know, I I haven't seen any evidence of that. Silly. There's a few cases which I remember. There was one that got a whole lot of attention, and it's an absolute outlier. Um, what was the witness? Judy Do Doherty said that she was pulled on board and saw cows being vivisected and human body parts. And I'm like, I'm not so sure that this is a real phenomenon. This sounds a real case in terms of being ET. Mm -hmm. Like a my lab, which, you know, Stephen Greer is all about. <laughs> like these people are being my lab. You know, if you guys think this is real, it's not. And, uh, He's been saying that for a very long time. Uh, so, yeah, that is muddying the waters of this field. That is a real problem. Because uh, having talked to so many people, all I can tell you is it can be very scary for people, uh, especially in the beginning. And we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, but I don't have evidence of that sort of thing at all. People are not telling me this. And I don't, you know, pick and choose the cases that come to me. Mm -hmm. And I get plenty of people who are not happy about being contacted. And most of the people who contact me, their stories don't end up in one of my books because they just want, you know, some answers or a little counseling, perhaps just someone to talk to. And yeah, some of them are absolutely frightened but as we go through their case i'm like just tell me exactly what happened to you and let's see and 
I've said this a million times, the very worst I hear is people being physically examined, which nobody likes, even if it's a human doctor, because, you know, you don't know what they're going to find out, and we have needles coming at you. No one wants any instrument of any kind anywhere near their body, (laughs) even if it's just like, listen, this is to heal you. Right. I don't even want to go to the dentist besides. Right. Exactly. And I came to that conclusion within two years of entering this field. I'm like, no, they're not kidnapping people. No, they're not experimenting on you. That the purpose of the onboard experience is manyfold. I mean, there's multiple agendas. I don't like that word. Multiple goals behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and largely, the whole physical examination is a simple checkup. That's it. And having talked to Dolly Safran, who's my favorite contactee, because she's not fear-based. This isn't recalled through hypnosis. She's not my lab. Uh, and other people that I've talked to who are also sort of almost or at that level uh, are saying, no, the purpose of the onboard experience is healing. <laughs> it's to uphold our genetics. It's to teach. It's to guide. It's to wake people up. And a lot of researchers out there, especially in the beginning, are ignoring a lot of these aspects of the phenomena. I wonder about, you know, I'll, I'll just say David Jacobs uh, and why he is so negative about this field. Because I know that some of his clients don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for Bud Hopkins. Because I was looking at all his, you know, he wrote a bunch of books, but he also wrote a bunch of articles. And I was just looking at one of the articles he wrote. And he says, well, the witness I interviewed really feels like these ETs are her friends. And she loves them. They're part of the family. And he's like, but I'm not sure I feel that way. (laughs) I'm like, well, hold on a second. You're talking to the witness. And this is the way the witness feels. Wouldn't Mm -hmm. they know better than you? (laughs) Yes, I know you've interviewed a lot of people. But the witness is saying it. I mean, they should be the ones who have the authority to say it. Uh, so this is the problem. People have a tendency, and this is true with witnesses as well, but especially researchers, they overlay their own belief system onto this. And this is true in any field of science. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, look at anthropology and all the stuff that goes against the mainstream idea of modern humans. And, uh, They throw out evidence right and left. (laughs) Science, and I've said this before, has a tendency to become a closed system. Mm -hmm. Any data that goes against the mainstream paradigm goes ping and bounces off. (laughs) It's like hitting arrows against a brick wall. uh, Until at one point, one is just a cannonball comes of truth and bam, we have to readjust everything. And this is why I think it's so hard for people to move this field forward because it is causing everyone to readjust their entire world view. It's counter to a lot of mainstream religious thought. It's counter to mainstream scientific thought. Mm -hmm. And certainly it would be 
a threat, and I will say that the ET threat to business, to the oil industry. That's the ET threat right there. I think that's the big one too. I think it's free energy, free energy and is one. And I think the other thing is our own human potential is another because, you know, I think there is some kind of relation between us and them. And some of our, we have extra abilities that we don't use that have been dormant, you know, like telepathy and things like that. Yeah. Can you imagine if instead of, I think you were the one who pointed this out and I thought it was brilliant <laughs> that if we hadn't developed cell phones and instead worked on psychic abilities, we wouldn't even need them. Mm-hmm. We'd all, it would be a completely different world if we could just look at each other and know who's lying. I mean, we wouldn't even need prisons and jails because we could say, hey, <laughs> behave. <laughs> this is how the Native Americans did it. They didn't have jails. Right. You know, they, they their society was in many ways a lot more advanced than our own. Absolutely. Somehow we've lost that ability or went dormant or something. I don't know. Yeah, that was the ET's main complaint with all the, you know, in the contactee era. They said your technology has outpaced your spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's interesting to me that every message that anyone ever gets from ETs beyond, you know, don't be afraid, you're fine, calm down. We're going to be okay is along those lines. It's like you guys, your use of nuclear material is really bad. You're going to destroy yourselves. How many times do they need to say it? And we know they've told the leaders of the government who aren't listening. So they're telling everybody. We're just going to flat out tell every person on this planet until we finally get it. And we're still not getting it. I mean, we are, but... This is a strange situation I think we found ourselves in. It is, too. Plus, now, too, I think we're probably closer now to nuclear war or I mean, using nuclear weapons than ever, you know, especially with uh, Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, we're not evolving spiritually at all in terms of, you know, governments. You know, we, slavery's been outlawed, right, mm. for how long? On paper. <laughs> <laughs> on paper but yeah i was reading some studies on it and they're like well actually there's quite a lot of people <laughs> who are suffering from that and the numbers are still well according to the study i saw it's it's worse than it was when it was legal i don't know that that's true because i haven't dug deep into that but it was shocking for me to hear that and we know that there's still a lot of divisiveness and unequal distribution of wealth and and people being dumped down with prescription drugs looking into that it's shocking the whole drug war yeah it's ridiculous because that is sanctioned and we know this both illegal drugs and legal drugs are being showered over everyone in an attempt to completely destroy us more people are dying of prescription drugs than illegal drugs. Mm. And a lot of people die of illegal drugs. It is a horrendous situation. Uh, you know, in my own family, going getting very personal, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, struggled <laughs> with addiction. Uh, my brother died of alcoholism. So did my friend. You know, I had a couple of members of my family struggle with drugs. They got over it, thankfully. But everyone in our society runs the gauntlet 
of trying to escape what our secret governments are doing to us. And, you know, this may not sound UFO related, but it is. Right. It's part of the whole attempt to keep us enslaved and unaware that we are not alone and never have been. You know, to quote ancient aliens, <laughs> we are not alone and ne <laughs> never have been alone. Right. And I believe <laughs> that, though. We haven't. We, we've always been here, probably longer than us. Yeah, I sometimes wish, you know, that the CME that, you know, Dolly Saffron was talking about and a lot of contactees and mainstream science would just come and wipe out the grid and just knock everything out <laughs> and that, the, that we could have open official contact with ETs because for those who are ready, I mean, I feel like I'm ready. Oh, I know yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's a, you know, I don't know what portion of society is. But I think there's definitely a good number. Uh, but this is ridiculous, the way we're living. Life is so hard for a lot of people. We don't have to. We don't have to be this way. Yeah. I've had so many people tell me, you know, why, why should I care about UFOs? I've never seen one. I'm like, wow. Well, th this is why. Because society has been paralyzed in terms of progress, because of this cover-up and this, the evil doings, the evil doers of the, <laughs> behind the cover-up. Mm -hmm. And the more I look into that aspect of it, it's chilling. It's bone chilling. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, UFOs and the whole um, experiencer phenomenon. It's probably the biggest threat, I think, to whoever it is that's really enslaving the humans. You know, putting us, you know, making us work for money, trying to tell us that there's not enough resources on the planet for everybody, so therefore you have this class and that class. The whole thing is bunk. Yeah, and look who's, look at the whole food supply is becoming, going under their control. The, the money, the financial system, it's not controlled by Congress or governments, really. Mm -hmm. And it's going to go digital shortly. It's already been that way for a long, a long time in terms of credit cards. And and how many people are in debt? I was looking at just this, the student loan problem. <laughs> they, they get you when you're young. And they yeah. put all these young people in incredible debt. I have a friend who's in her 60s and still paying off a student loan. How ridiculous is that, man? Is that freedom? Uh, you know, is that spiritual evolution? Uh, it's just the form of slavery, really. Work, yeah. work, work. Do what you do. What we tell you. Do what we tell you to do, and you'll be okay. This is what baffles me because how many people have met? It's a small group of people who have relatively managed to enslave a, a lot of humanity. And I started looking at it, you know, in terms outside the UFO field. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's true in every aspect of society. And it's the horrible things that these people are doing to others. I don't quite understand how that has become so such a success for them. Uh, but hopefully, I f what I'd love is for this, the whole cover up to just completely collapse. 
let's say they're, you know, because countries come and go, they rise and fall. Yeah. You know, and we've had a pretty good run here in the U.S., but there's talk of revolution here. Even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, look at what happened on January 6th. Um, that is speaks to how unhappy people are uh, with, you know, the state of affairs. Right. And, and you know, like I think governments come and go. What I would love to see is just a major collapse. I hate to say it <laughs> mm-hmm. because you know, chaos is no, it's not fun. No. But it would be awesome if a major country said enough is enough. We're taking over the government. We don't need a government anymore. You guys can all go to hell. <laughs> we are going to just live on our own in a cooperative. We don't need money. We don't, and we're gonna just tell the truth. Because I have to believe that there are people who are in the cabal who are good people. There's got to be some in there uh, who are working hard to sort of move things forward. They can't all be evil. <laughs> you know? right. I'm not going to make the mistake of underestimating evil because uh, I think we did that with the whole Holocaust situation and people are like, no, this couldn't happen. This can't be true. But it was. And genocide has is another clear symptom of the sickness that our world is in. Mm-hmm. And it's still ongoing. It's still happening. And we see it with these companies funding, giving weapons to both sides. This is not <laughs> normal. <laughs> Nobody's ever won a war. Ever. <laughs> really. Despite what the history books say, nobody's ever won a war. Right. So... I would just love for the ETs to come down for us, and they're not going to. Certainly not today, with the you know magnetic fields being what they are. And if you wonder what I'm talking about, read the book Symmetry. Mm-hmm. Look at, look up the interviews with Dolly Saffron and others. I mean, the science is there. Suspicious observers, that guy Ben Davidson, uh, talks about it daily. Uh, so we're kind of on our own right now. We'll see what happens, but uh, I am sort of at my wit's end trying to move this field forward. I don't know what else to do other than to keep telling people it's real, you know, wake up, develop your psychic abilities. I think that's super important because if you want, yeah, if you want to, you know, make contact with the ETs and move this forward, you have to do that. Because the day is coming, and I've heard this from so many contactees, that the sky will fill with ships. Now, they all describe this. Well, I won't say all, but a good portion of them. And uh, I remember uh, Jeannie, what was her name? Jeannie Noble told me this. She, she had these constant dreams of the skies filling with ships. And, and she's telling everyone, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's fine. They're here to take us. This is what James Santiago told me, another contactee. Mm-hmm. He's passed away. He saw the whole sky filling with ships, and he would take people on board. That's you know, what Dolly is talking about from a very clear perspective. And I just love the idea of that, because that would... I, mean, I hope to see that, because that would be the end of tyranny. And... Uh, Tyranny has been a problem for since feudal times. Let's face it. 
since we became quote unquote civilized. Right. Yeah. Because we broke away from tribal communal living to becoming countries and land ownership. Yeah, there's a show on the History Channel which I love because it's very illuminating called the the Food That Built America. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but no. there were some very interesting episodes about how at the turn of the century, 1900s, how the food supply was just poisonous. And they were putting like what something in milk to make it white. And the meat was just awful. And everyone had become centralized in cities and there was no control over, you know, no, uh, quality control over the food source. Mm-hmm. People were being poisoned and we still are. And if you look at, you know, some of the food supplies, you go, go into a grocery store and a lot of stuff in there is not good for you. It really isn't. Uh, and it's part of this whole problem. There was, you know, what, 150, 100 years ago, 150, people had medical care at home, largely. You know, their food, a lot of it was grown by themselves. Mm-hmm. We were technically what we would call now off-grid. Uh, and that, now most people aren't. Back then, people were surviving. It was perhaps in some ways not as easy as it is today. Right. Because, yeah, you can walk into a grocery store and there's just rows and rows and rows of, you know, fresh food and canned food and grains and stuff. But we're so reliant on it. And it's could so easily go away, as we learned uh, in 2020 when the shelves went bare. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> That couldn't have happened in the 1850 because there weren't grocery stores. Or food like, is like the new energy, you know. Yeah, it's, it's funny when I start talking about UFOs, it starts shifting into all these other subjects. I'm like, well, let's try to keep on topic, but I can't help it. Because mm-hmm. I like talking about people who are taken on board and what they saw and all the amazing adventures they had. Uh, putting out a new book. I'm super excited about it. Not ready yet, but it's all about that. So I'm looking forward to just kind of talking about that again, because this gets a little depressing. Mm -hmm. So I try to like, you know, I'm an optimistic guy. I try to, and I always remind myself, well, ultimately this is good news because we've become aware of it. Knowledge is power. It's good to know about this. So now we can plant the seeds that people need to move off grid. They need to collect food. They need to find a way to live without money if and when the financial system collapses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Garden, 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 garden. Meditate, meditate, meditate. This is what the ETs have been saying. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful life, too? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to, you know, grow their own food? have time to meditate, have time to study topics they want to stop the study, you know, live in a world where, you know, you're making things so that you enjoy making, and then you just trade to get what you need from other people. I mean, that, to me, sounds a whole lot better than what we're doing now, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. So that's why I think this is good news, because people are waking up to that. 
it's fun talking to contactees. Um, I, I always ask them, like, you know, how, do you garden? You know, how do you feel about animals? <laughs> you know, they're, they're all huge environmentalists almost across the board. Many of them are absolutely aware of, you know, how fragile society is. Mm-hmm. The one guy, I'm like, I don't, I just asked him out of the blue, I'm like, do you have food? That story's like, oh yeah, I've got cans and cans, you know, bags of rice. <laughs> good, good, good man. Because uh, this is something that I think the ETs are trying real hard to tell tell us all. You know, we're on the brink of a real societal eruption. Uh, one lady, she was very political. <laughs> I was interviewing her. Mm-hmm. This was many years ago. She was all into politics and was supporting Ross Perot. <laughs> And his run for president. And the ETs were furious. They're like, listen, you need to stop this right now. If you are a part of it, you are a part of the problem. That was a direct quote from the ETs. They said, there's going to be a rebellion and it's all going to collapse around you. And we're seeing that. I mean, we there, there was a rebellion and mm-hmm. it is collapsing. And this, she was told this in 1990. 294 thereabouts Jesus, like 30 years ago yeah so it's hard to believe the yeah, 90s were 30 years ago this is, kind of yeah. this, is, this is where i look to for the answers it's not our government i i like listening to the contactees because there was another lady kathy is her name and uh she had an encounter with et's they came to her room it was a little bit scary for her but it changed her life she says, I'm going to become a bean farmer. She says, I don't know if this is related to my contacts, but I feel like it might be. I want to grow beans so bad. She says, I also collect any seed I can find. Anytime her family eats, you know, a peach, she's mm-hmm. like, give me your pet. <laughs> I want your plum pits. I want your, pe- every, you know, strawberries. Uh, I see this a lot with contactees. Howard Menger, the contactee, the sign painter from the 1950s who talked about, you know, having face-to-face contact with beautiful human-looking ETs. And a lot of researchers said, ah, his case is bunk. There's nothing to it. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. Yeah, some of it is fantastic. But he had a lot of witnesses around him who said, oh, I saw it. Uh, He had, you know, more evidence than a lot of modern-day contactees. And he devoted a good portion of his book to fertilizer and gardening and all this stuff (laughs) which i just noticed i'm like wow is that kind of interesting because this keeps cropping up Uh, it's another part of the et message Mm -hmm. that's why i kind of have to roll my eyes a little bit at some of the researchers who are saying this is terrible they're going to take over we're going to be enslaved by the et hybrids and one day they're going to land on earth and take over our governments like, well, I don't think so. I would welcome it. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. But, uh, you know, we are ETs. We're all, who do you people think we are? Look at the theory of evolution and better underline that theory because it becomes more and more clear that evolution, as is taught in mainstream schools, is not completely accurate right like i believe obviously i wouldn't even call it evolution i I would call it adaptability you know of species adapting to 
different environments, you know, in order to survive. But by no means do I think it explains human consciousness. Right. Yeah, this is something Dolly and I talk about quite a bit is, because she called the book Symmetry, which is, you know, something that keeps coming up in other accounts. We always kind of look at each other and smile when it happens. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, talking about genetics, there was a a fish on TV the other day, which had had an absolute human-looking face with teeth. (laughs) I mean, it looked like a human being. And, And Dolly and I were talking about that. She's like, see, this is what I keep telling you. We all share the same genetics. And it's true. It's 100% true. Uh, the, the genetics is universal. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this with Albert Rosales, one of the few researchers out there I just love because he's very objective and just lays, you know, he's not overlaying his own belief system over everything. He's collecting humanoid reports. That's what he does. And they're all humanoids. All of them, almost without exception. He pointed out one, like, here's a gelatinous one. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> but it's unique. You know, it's what I would call an outlier. Uh-huh. Well, but, yeah, they're all humanoids. And people who report going to other worlds, like Dolly, and a number of other. I mean, Carl Higdon, he reported this. I've talked to some Native Americans mm-hmm. who reported being taken to other planets. It's not super common, but if you look at Albert Rosales' humanoid reports, it turns up quite a bit. Uh, and uh, they all describe trees, you know, plants and animals, and very, very much like we have here on Earth. And that's the symmetry of life throughout the universe. And this is such an important point, because this is exactly what the cabal is desperately scrabbling <laughs> to stop from getting out. Mm-hmm. So, no. so essentially, what, we're, what you're saying is that basically we all sort of come from the same blueprint. You yeah, know, the same. The DNA is like the blueprint. Is the you know the carbon model of the blueprint anyway. Yeah, we're all one big happy family. They are. You know, we're trying certainly here on Earth. I think there's a a lot of real. I mean, most people. Perhaps I'm just being optimistic or an idealist, but I feel like most people on this planet are good people. And that given the opportunity to thrive, would thrive. I think so, know? too. You know what I mean? Because it was the same thing. Yeah. When disaster hits, you know, I've been in a few major wildfire fires growing up in California. Uh, wildfires swept through Topanga Canyon. It was mm-hmm. very scary. <laughs> and major earthquakes. I was in the Northridge quake. People came together. Everyone in our, you know, I was in a condo building at the time. I didn't know a lot of the people. This was a big building with 60 units, 61. And everyone came out and they were all clustering in the parking lot and we were all getting together like, oh my gosh. <clears throat> and everyone was there to help everyone else. I took in my fam, my uh, brother, sister-in-law and their two kids into my 600 <laughs> square foot condo for nine months, which was against the rules, but they needed a place to stay. Their apartment mm-hmm. had decimated. And I know a lot of other people were doing the same darn thing. Disaster. This is what my, my point is. People are good. They just have been enslaved and taught to fear and are scrabbling for survival. And when people don't have food, they will do anything to get it. 
you know, people need to survive. They will do anything to do it. It's built within our genes survive. Mm -hmm. So I'm worried about when, you know, the crap hits the fan that there's going to, especially in the cities, if the supply line gets cut off and it could be so easily, you know, most cities have just a few major arteries in and out. Uh, like LA, if you knocked out the 405, <laughs> uh, the coast highway, the, the 10 and the five, mm -hmm. you're trapped. You know, you're, there's going to be no way out because yeah. cars only go three to 500 miles. It's like New York, too. There's only a few ways in and a few ways out. Yeah, which is one of the reasons, I think, why we don't have flying cars. When we could, I just saw one on, TV, on the Internet, which was brilliant. This guy had to you know, put all these drones together. Mm -hmm. and boom, it's this little flying car, and it's so safe. It takes an hour to learn. They're coming out now. Uh, I think we probably at some point will have these because the technology is available to anybody at this point. You can build your own. Uh, no more tolls but, then. Yeah, but flying cars would absolutely destroy property values <laughs> because you know what i mean you can go boom boom out. you could live outside the city because right now you can still buy a chunk of land out in the boonies for a reasonable price but people can't do it because they need to work they need to you know be close to their job but if you could boink boink fly over there in an hour um then you could live outside. I'm hoping to see that. And we are seeing that, a movement away from the cities. Uh, but I don't know. It's almost too little, too late. Like disclosure, it's way too little, way too late. They're not doing, there's been no disclosure. You know, yes, our, you know, Ronald Moultrie, is that his name? And Daly, the defense guys who were in front of Congress. Right. Only thing that they said was UAPs are real. They did not say they're extraterrestrial, and they know it. They know, know, know it. We know they know. They know we know they know. And I can go back <laughs> hard <with> that <laughs> because it's true. That is not disclosure. I expect we're gonna be shown some more footage, you know, because that is happening. They are rolling out little bits of this and that. I expect we're going to see a little piece of metal. Like, look, we don't know what this is. This came from something. I'm like, yeah, you're showing us a sliver of metal and you have the craft with the portholes and the little seats inside and the, you know, the drive, the magnetic drive or whatever you want to call it that they don't understand at all because these craft, as Dolly so lucidly points out, are psychically driven mm -hmm. and you know, they will never, ever be able to do that because this is a technology that is so far beyond our own. It's it's not even comparable to giving a monkey a cell phone. I mean, that that's how much more advanced it is. Right. A chimpanzee is never going to be able to reverse engineer a cell phone. It's far beyond that. That's weird, though, because, like, yeah, they can put the brakes on the physical technology. You know, and how that comes to us. But as we and I know, these, these beings work in a psychic and astral and multidimensional aspect too. 
which I think is harder for them to control. Yeah. And uh, I wonder about that because we know that they are researching psychic abilities, remote viewing. There was that movie, Men Who Stare at Goats, mm -hmm. with George Clooney, <laughs> which was, you know, I, liked, I enjoyed the movie very much. It was funny. <laughs> but underlying it is a little bit of a you know, concerning topic, in fact, that we have people within this cabal who are looking into psychic abilities. And you don't necessarily need to be spiritually advanced or moral, I should say, or ethically advanced to learn how to do these sort of things. Uh, and that concerns me. Remote viewing is yeah. something we know they're looking into. Yeah, I've done it. I took uh, the course from David Morehouse, who wrote the handbook for the CIA. And I did it. Yeah. And it works. And... And it is something that anybody can do. It's just following a format. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I've tried it myself with some amazing success. I find it a little bit difficult because I feel like I'm guessing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Oh, you're not seeing them. And I hate guessing games. But I think it's really important to practice. And I have been. And sometimes it suddenly starts getting really clear and you're wandering around like, a little floating camera. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah, we definitely, I think it behooves all of us to work on that uh, because that is a major part of the contact experience. There's a movement within the field. It's all about consciousness. Yeah, it is. It's not consciousness itself. I'm concerned that some researchers are trying to lump it all together into one phenomena. Because I think Bigfoot is Bigfoot. I really do. And a near-death experience is exactly what it looks like. And when a UFO lands, it's and it's, it's a saucer and little ETs come out and they take them on board. But that's exactly what's happening. It's not a charade. It's not a intelligence putting on a, you know, something that's completely different behind it. Mm -hmm. Which is what some researchers are saying without any real evidence to back that up where's the mechanism that would be my question it's like okay you don't think this is an extraterrestrial <laughs> prove it i mean how can you possibly even postulate that and why would you uh, and i've looked into that because some people absolutely are die hard on this and uh there no one can explain how an intelligence can manifest a metallic craft and if that were true we should be having Everything from pink elephants to, I mean, anything people can imagine coming down and landing on our planet mm -hmm. makes zero sense. Uh, and it really is so anthropocentric, um, putting us at the center of the universe, which we know from the history of science, that that almost never works out. Right. We aren't the center of the universe. But there's uh, always I, the old question, like, what is the universe? <laughs> you know? What is it we're living in? You know, what is matter? What is thought? Like, what is this all to begin with? We don't yeah. even know. Well, I think the main argument behind, like, why UFOs are not ETs is because they're so symbolic and high strangeness. You know, because some symbology is something that we overlay on anything. Yeah. But if I have one more person send me cloud pictures and say, look, <laughs> there's, do you see the face there? I'm like, oh, gosh, paradelia. Mm -hmm. And imagination uh, is uh, uh, sometimes a problem in this field. 
And uh, I was arguing with a major researcher about this, about the different types of ETs. He's like, listen, how, do you really believe that these are they're little short guys and real tall guys? <laughs> and, you know, medium-sized and grays and praying mantis. I'm like, yes, I do. I think these are people from other planets. They're very much like us. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, oh, no, no, it's a manifestation. It's, oh, my God. Oh, no. I don't, I don't understand why you would even go there. There's a weird resistance to the idea of extraterrestrials, which I think is probably part of the whole government cover-up and debunking campaign. What do you think about the idea of like um, a galactic council or federation? Yeah, it makes my skin crawl. Uh, and there are some researchers out there who are really popular who are talking about the Grey Queen and... <laughs> You know, we, we we lost Saturn and then we got it back and just wild stuff. You know, Mars, I was a super soldier on Mars. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, I'd look into the science and no, you know, I don't hear it from the contactees I've interviewed. And I think if you look at a lot of the mainstream researchers like John Mack and Barbara Lamb and Edith Fiore and a lot of these guys who just were very careful in their research because that, that, that's new um, mm-hmm. that's something that, you know in terms of super soldiers on mars and, yeah i've heard that one too is a new development which i think is a very carefully because these guys behind the cover-up are they're very clever they they work out their scenarios mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're the galactic federation i don't there's a few people saying it uh and their stories themselves are again outliers. There's nothing like them, and a lot. Some of these guys have been, you know, thoroughly debunked. What's that guy, Corey? Corey Good. People often ask me to comment on him, mm-hmm. and I always just say, you know, his story doesn't match what I've uncovered, and I don't even. I still don't want to contact, you know, comment on him, but you mm-hmm. know that he had some credibility problems recently. Uh, and his story has kind of been, you know, proven not to be true. Yeah, I've seen him at Gaia quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't really looked into it to the point because I don't, you know, I've got my own opinions about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think there is a Galactic Federation because we have, a, this is the problem. People have a tendency to overlay their own s- beliefs i keep saying this but we have a federalized system here we have a federation of government Mm -hmm. right governors and council people and presidents and mayors and let's face it kings and queens in some cases still uh and i have never ever heard that from any contactee ever what I do see is greys working along with human-looking ETs, working along with greys, working along with little blue beings, working along with tall whites. In some cases, even big ones. <laughs> it's super rare, but, it, you know, no, they don't have money. I don't see that. I don't see any sign of rank. What I do see is, like, some ETs will say, well, I, I pilot the craft. Or, it's you know, my... I do the healing or something. You know, they may specialize in certain areas, uh, but I don't see any 
sign of a federalized system or a government as we think of it or any religion or any of the um what we call institutions of control that we have here on earth so that's what they are mm -hmm. a, a moral society doesn't need a government it really doesn't we shouldn't even need speed bumps on the highways first time i saw those i lost my mind i'm like why did they put it make pave a road and then put bumps in it <laughs> mom i don't understand this why are there what's the speed bump for and she's like well people speed i'm like but why would they speed um she says because they don't obey the laws i mean we had a big long discussion about it and to me that's i think it's a good analogy for government a government is a, just a darn speed bump <laughs> it is a good one <laughs> i never thought of that one and, uh, we we shouldn't need government. A moral society would not need a government, and that's why I think we we don't see governments among the ET population. Right. I think they're working so hard to tell everyone all of this. They're working so hard to let everyone know they're real. Working so hard to stop us, help stop us from destroying our own environment. But they're not going to do it. We have to do it. Every parent knows you could tie your children's shoes all the way up till they're 18, make their lunch, like my mom did for my brother Jamie. And he had a real hard time moving out. You know, he never actually did. To the day he died, he lived in my dad's house. Hmm. Uh, he was perhaps a little bit too coddled. Every parent knows that if you tie your children's shoe and then send them out in the world, they're going to not know how to tie their own shoe <laughs> or cook or get gas. I, it was a real wake-up call when I moved out at age 25 because I had to learn, like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I had, to, had a lot of stuff done for me. Uh, coming from a large family and three older brothers, I didn't have the opportunity to learn stuff on my own a lot of the time. Everyone was always controlling. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it really behooves everyone to take control of your life, you know, look to yourself for answers. And when someone starts putting out this information about how they were a super soldier on Mars, okay, let's look at this. You know, let's take a good hard look at yourself and see if you can prove this or disprove it. And I always step back from those stories because I know, and you can look this up and ask any astronomer or physicist or scientist that Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. And even if you dug underground and had a lead dome, and how are you going to get a lead dome to Mars? Mm -hmm. um, you, you couldn't survive. You just couldn't. So, and you can't, you know, de regress yourself back to age 11. The science on that is like, what? <laughs> I think that's, I don't really like to talk about it too much, but it, it makes my toes curl when I hear some of these stories out there because I just can't, yeah. can't go there. I'm not ready to say. Yeah, I, I have a tough time with that one too. Like these, that idea of like the 20 and back program, you know, where they take you, they put you on another planet, you do a 20 year stint, and then they somehow reverse your aging process back to the same age that you were at when you joined the program and erase your memory and you just go on with your life again. 
I'm like, yeah. and there's a lot of people saying this. This is not one or two. There's a good number of people who like this happened to me and they are sincere and they will cry and they will tell you the whole story of what they remember. And I think what we're dealing with is either flat out liars and I, you know, please forgive me for anyone who's you know going through this, mm-hmm. you know, because my heart goes out to you. Absolutely. Or my labs, you know, and I, I honestly have a lot of sympathy for these people in the cabal because I feel like this is a bad choice that they've made. And I think karma is a real thing. Um, because it does turn up in all the spiritual disciplines across the planet. That karma is real. Uh, it doesn't, you know, in various spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. comes up. And certainly the ETs have talked about it. Absolutely, in case after case, that comes up. Karma. And I feel bad for people who have made very poor decisions to hurt a lot of other people. And I love the near-death experiences uh, because... All of them talk about how you, you know, when you die, you go through a life review. And I talked to one guy who was so vehement because he says, I wasn't a good person. And he wouldn't really talk about any other aspect of his near-death experience except for the life review. Because he says he felt everything that he had done negatively to other people. He says, listen, Preston, it wasn't just the people I hurt. Uh, it was everyone around them. So if he hurt one person and that person hurt another and it spread out like a, a plague, he felt all of that. So hurting one person, he felt a hundred people and all the problems that they had from his initial reaction, you know, that act coming at him. He says it nearly killed him and it absolutely changed his life. He came out of that near death experience absolutely devastated uh, because of all the wrongs he had done and worked so hard to do the right thing now and is so vehement about it. And it really brought it home because I see the the life review is something we're all going to go through. When people talk about being judged by God, well, you, you are going to judge yourself when you're in a position to realize how important your actions are and the, the consequences they have. So my heart goes out to these people who are trapped in the cabal, because it's my understanding that these are people who are born into a family, you know, whether it's the Rockefellers or what have you, mm-hmm. whoever they are. Uh, I would imagine that's hard to get out of because it's something that you were sort of raised into. And uh, we know that from, so, so, what would you call it? So, so, sociology, mm-hmm. that you are you know, perfect little mirrors of your parents often. You know, you will vote the way they voted. You will believe what they believe. The, we, we pass on our belief systems to each other, which is why, you know, things like racism uh, are so endemic and hard to get out of in ab- abusive situations. Or because if a child is abused, there's a, a chance that, you know, they're going to abuse their children. Uh, so yeah, this is a real problem. This is why it's so important. Everyone just needs to meditate, wake up, cast off the yokes of <laughs> all the abuse and the, the wrong thinking 
yeah, yeah. Just try to think a little bit differently, you know. And I think, like, like, sort of like the whole point of my podcast, really, is not to put out an agenda, but hopefully people will hear something that will make them think outside of what they've been conditioned to think. And and that will hopefully open up some new doorways for people. When I I interview the contactees, I'm I'm struck by their demeanor often, which is somewhat shy. You know, they're they're a little bit wary. They're very aware, but they're also incredibly kind. They're really nice people. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them. This is a pattern I noticed. I think we've probably talked about this as to who's being contacted and why. Because um, it's evenly divided between men and women. It's all over the world. It's every age. It doesn't matter what ancestry you have or blood mm-hmm. type. These are people who are doing good. They are working hard to protect the environment. They're nurses, they're doctors, they're environmentalists, they're social workers, they're inventors, they're musicians, people who are just nice people who are trying to do the right thing. Um, And it's a generalization, certainly, because I think a lot of people are having contact. Uh, But it's a pattern I, I, I see quite a bit. And it's really interesting to interview contactees and ask them, like, how do you feel about animals? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, I love animals. They come, wild animals have come up to me, and I, you know, and I feed them. I, I do pet rescues. There's one lady I know. She heard me speak, and we've become good friends for years and years. That's all she does is she saves kitties. You know, she's a cat lady. Mm-hmm. She absolutely loves them. Uh, Dolly Saffron, she was a zookeeper. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> she works really hard to save animals and has her whole life. This is contactees. And I think this reflects why I'm so encouraged by the whole UFO movement. No, they're not here to hurt us. Look at the people who are having these experiences. They're very nice people. They work really hard to do the right thing. They're helping the planet in so many ways. Look at Michael Carter, mm-hmm. Reverend Michael Carter, who works so hard to heal people and spread wisdom and fight racism. And John Hunter Gray, who's since passed away, but he was a Native American who worked very hard to fight you know, the discrimination against Native Americans. Uh, and so many people like this. Those are the ones who are being healed, I noticed a lot. Because <laughs> uh, that's, again, where I focused a lot of my research. Mm-hmm. And people who say, oh, this is, you know, this is bad for humanity. I'm like, mm, no, it's not. Look at all the contactee accounts, not just cherry picking. Look at them all and sift through them. Go through all the humanoid reports by Albert Rosales. Go through all the reports in their totality. And look at what happens to people who have face-to-face contact or are taken on board. And you will see that it is overall benevolent. That they are healing people. That they will take you to the engine room and say, look at it, you don't need fossil fuels. That they will take you to the control room. That's what I love about Dolly's story. Because she's like, I, they taught me how to pilot the craft. It's the most <laughs> amazing thing. And Grant Cameron's book, uh, Sky Pilots, I love mm. that title. I think that's what it's called. It's like a confirmation, because I've certainly heard it a number of times, but to hear another researcher like, listen, this is a thing. 
It's like, I just told you, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And uh, he's laying it out in black and white. You can't tell me the ETs are here to take over when they're teaching people how to pilot the craft, when they're encouraging people to move off fossil fuels, when they're, let's say, stop nuclear destruction, mm-hmm. your warlike ways, you know, when they're waking people up, when people come away from contact with the ability to heal. And they do have this ability. I know. I know they, they do. Absolutely <laughs> do. Uh, and I've experienced it myself. Me too. Um, it is amazing. Uh, so uh, this is why I think it's really good news for us. I'm so happy that we are not alone in this universe. I never have been alone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so awesome to me. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I, grew, I grew up skeptical, right? Mm-hmm. I loved science fiction. And it was all about aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of the books were alien invasion. Uh, but in a way, it helped prepare me. Because I don't know if I had not read all this, you know, Frank Herbert and Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein and all, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, mm-hmm. all these guys, Clifford Simak. Clifford Simak, my favorite author, by the way, never wrote alien invasion stories. Hmm. I found out not too long ago he wrote about UFOs as well. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Uh, and he said in one of those articles, I just don't find the alien invasion hypothesis credible because any species that's that advanced to be able to traverse star systems would have overcome any need to hurt others <laughs> or themselves. I agree with that hypothesis, that one. So, yeah, I think science fiction is an interesting corollary here because it helped prepare society for the idea of ETs, which really wasn't there in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, but it wasn't popularized. Uh, it was Jules Verne and H.G. Wells who really started to write stories which brought it into the mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it was happening. Now the indigenous cultures have known it forever. <laughs> but, you know, Europe, modern Europe and, you know, wasn't really thinking about that. And most people for throughout the, let's face it, 1700s and before that, nobody could read. It was really the priesthood. <laughs> that was it. And the higher nobles who had any education whatsoever. There were no schools. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a thing. Literacy wasn't there. And the only books were hagiography, hey, hey the lives of the saints, and some of the sacred writings of various cultures. It was all very religious writings. Right. Uh, and that changed dramatically. The first novel was what, uh, I think, uh, Robinson Crusoe was one of them, or the other guy with the lily cushions and Gulliver's Travels. Mm-hmm. These were some of the early novels. And which is interesting to me. I'm like, gosh, this wasn't something we've been doing for. Ever? No. <laughs> it's relatively recent. That's so uh, weird. I never really thought about that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And it wasn't until, you know, just the you know, past couple of hundred years that bookstores came into being. And there's, there was the Library of Alexandria, of course, but that was at a time when most people couldn't read. And now we have a 
a society that is largely educated. Uh, so I think we've got real potential. We've got absolute ability to wake up. Uh, so we'll see how this all rolls out. I don't think our governments are going to ever come clean. I just, as optimistic as I am about, you know, how this is all going to roll out, I don't think our governments are going to tell the truth ever. Because they never have, and they're not now. Why would they tomorrow? Yeah, it doesn't benefit them. Right. It does the complete opposite. It's a threat to them. So the only thing, only card they really had to play on this topic really is disinformation. Yeah. They think it doesn't benefit them, but it would, because then they could move out of the pit that they have put themselves into. You know what I mean? Morally speaking, this would be the best move they could make. You know know what? I was wrong. (laughs) I'm so sorry. You know, we should probably, you know, let's change everything. That's why I love that story by Charles Dickens when Scrooge mm-hmm. has the catharsis. He's like, oh, you know what? I was wrong. <laughs> Here, take my money. Because you can't take it with you. You know, you're not going to bring your riches to the other side. True. The only thing you can bring with you is your knowledge, the, your karma. The, everything you've learned in terms of love and wisdom. And I wonder if these people probably, they probably themselves somehow believe they're doing something good. I wonder. I, th- I, I wonder about that. Because I think they have to know that oppressing people is not a wise decision ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in their minds. Are they entitled you know, do they feel like they're better than everyone else? Because uh, something has to be motivating them to make these decisions. But it's my hope that they will have a catharsis, that all of them will have a near-death experience and realize, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's time for me to change my ways. Yeah, I wish the ETs would just come down and take them all up and probe them to the point where like, okay, okay, stop. (laughs) (laughs) I will do the right thing. But I don't think they will. Uh, Dolly talks about this. She's like, the ETs will have nothing to do with these guys. They're empty bags of skin. They're Mm -hmm. on the way to spiritual devolution. They're not progressing in any way. Evil is a force. And you you know, some of the out-of-body explorers talk about this. Like, what happened to Hitler? You know, is he still alive? And they, in some of these out-of-body accounts, they're told that basically a soul does have the ability to annihilate, annihilate itself forever and will be essentially recycled back down to the absolute bare minimum of consciousness and completely start over because they devolved, de-evolved. Uh, and that's a danger for these people who are in this position of oppressing everybody. That they will not move up to the higher realms ever. Mm. And they will remain earthbound. And if they cannot turn it around, sayonara forever. Which is so sad and almost horrific when you think about the fact that we are eternal beings. And that every single entity on this planet is infinite in age 
And we're all saying, oh, I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50. I'm like, well, you're actually infinite. You're billions of years old. And, you know, that's why I love about the out-of-body experiences because you do it and you start remembering past lives. And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> who am I? I? I am not who I thought I was. Uh, and you start to see all the horrific things you've done in the past for all the good stuff and all the trauma you've carried over from life to life and the pathway of where you're going. It's a real wake-up call. And that's why I think we see so many contactees experiencing astral projection, experiencing that spiritual awakening, because that, that brings them into full awareness and they re it sets them on the right pathway. And it could be that a lot of people are not just there yet and that only so, so many people are going to be lifted up and taken along with the ETs because the others are just not ready and they're going to have to just go to the other side and find another place to learn their difficult lessons. Hopefully one day we'll learn because mm. that's yeah, my understanding. Some people don't, they never learn and they actually will lose all the, all, all of their experience, everything. They'll lose their sacred entityhood. You know, that's something that's the greatest gift anyone in the universe can have, is to just be, to be an entity, to be a part of this universe. What a gift. God, don't throw that away. That would be my message to the cabal. You know, you're on, in danger of throwing away everything. Wake up. Do the right thing. I hope they hear your message, man. <laughs> yeah. I think they're watching. You know, that we know that they're watching UFO researchers. Yeah. We know the ETs are watching everything as well. So, and I know they watch contactees so closely because I've seen it happen. <laughs> uh, so I hope they get that message. And don't just smirk and roll their eyes and like, I'm better than you. I'm like, well, you'll find out when you die just how much better you are than any average person on this planet who's trying to do the right thing. Uh, it's not about how smart you are or how much money you have or all the, you know, possessions you've collected. It's have you done the right thing? Mm -hmm. Have you made good decisions? Have you worked on yourself? ETs cannot, they're pounding this into people. They're trying so hard to wake people up while this cabal is drugging everyone and putting fluoride in the water. The U.S. has been particularly victimized by the cabal. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely been put under their spell, that's for sure. So, um, before we wrap it up, where is well one what's your uh, next book going to be about do you have any plans yeah i, I do it's i don't want to release the title yet because mm. you know i don't want someone to steal it <laughs> uh and titles are so hard because i was looking every time i write a book i go, I go into amazon i'm like has someone used this title <laughs> but yeah i'm super excited about it I hope to have it out in a few months. It's all about people who have had direct contact with entities of some kind. And uh, I think just underlines a lot of the things I've been saying. 
because uh, again, I, I am not cherry picking or shoe fitting, and I am not saying that, you know this is my belief. This is what people are experiencing. This is what people are saying. This is what the ETs have told them. Uh, I've got this book contains twenty separate accounts, firsthand people who had contact from. And what I'm most excited about it is these days I'm able to reach out to a lot more people mm-hmm. than just in the U.S. So I've got cases from Argentina, um, France, Australia, um, Canada, certainly, um, some far-flung countries, which is awesome. New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, all over the world. It's very cool. That is cool. We're all saying the same things and. Yeah, some healing accounts, some really just amazingly unique cases that are just very poignant. And boy, there's one from Canada. It's probably so amazing. I don't really want to get into it at all until I get the book out. And, uh, but I'm super excited about it. I'm also working on volume five of Not From Here. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is all about the articles I've written over the years and the very strange aspects of UFO contact that a lot of people aren't talking about, but patterns of UFO contact. So that's hopefully coming out this year. I'm going to be doing another one on out-of-body experiences. Awesome. We've done shows on this. Yeah. Anyone can do it. I've had great fun with it. And I really just want to encourage everyone to try that because that will change your life. That's what I want the cabal to do if they're listening. Meditate, learn how to do this. Hopefully that will wake you up. Mm-hmm. Say that with some trepidation. Because <laughs> 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 I don't want evil people to start doing you know, things that are wrong in a psychic way. Yeah. But yeah, I'm super excited about that. Because boy, the experiences I've had with that just, oh, God, makes me just quiver with excitement to think, wow, people can do this. It's so much fun. And yeah, I want to put out another volume with Dolly Saffron because we really only touched the surface. Mm-hmm. The first book is mostly an adventure story. And I really want to get into the meat of it and the science of what she learned from the ETs and all the stuff that is so important that people know. Mm-hmm. So I've got a busy road ahead of me. <laughs> And where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Yeah, pretty easy to find me on Facebook. Uh, there are a couple of Preston Dennett's out there, but you can find me pretty easily. And, uh, of course, my books are available on Amazon and on Instagram and Twitter as well. And I do have a YouTube channel where I put out my research in case you're not a huge fan of reading. Mm-hmm. I do have a website, Preston Dennett. Dot weebly.com again you can probably punch my name in and find your way there yeah thanks for having me on gary i love doing your show i love having you <laughs> we've been doing this for a while now <laughs> yeah, we get to talk about everything imaginable yeah <laughs> i love it yeah. me too <laughs> all right man thanks for being on and i'll put those links in the notes of this episode and uh, i'm gonna play the outro and we'll do it again as always. Awesome. Thank you for